Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We come before your word, Lord, seeking your will. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us, that you would, as you taught us last week, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is truly saying to us, that it would go deep and it would change us. It would cause us to think. And I pray that same thing would happen here as we enter into this message, um, that you would do a great and mighty work. And we just thank you for bringing us all here. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're um, kind of continuing on, as I told you last week, we were um, going through the parable of the sower, and we went and talked about the different soils, the soils of our heart, and really what we started out was with Mark uh, 3.35, it says, whoever does the will, does the will of God, is my brother, my sister, and my mother. And we made the point that that's what a family resemblance looks like. That's what God's family looks like. It's those who do his will. And so he redefines us what the family of God looks like. And then we kind of brought up the idea, well, what's his will for our lives? And really, it is to be like Jesus Christ. So what I, I for all you parents here and those who have close uh, young kids around. And and I want you to just think about, as a parent, maybe that first one or even any of your kids, um, the idea of what did you want for your child before he or she was born? What did you think of that they were going to be, you know, right? I mean, olden days, they'll be a doctor, they'll be a lawyer, they'll be an engineer, now today, it's, uh, there'll be a YouTuber, I don't know, an influencer. And so all of this that, that you first thought of, and then when this child comes along, it's as you mature, and they kind of mature, right? Oh, they have certain talents. Maybe they'll be an artist. Maybe they'll be an athlete, an, a ball player. Maybe they'll take care of me, and I don't have to work for the rest of my life. You know, and we get these ideas of what they could become. And that's the dream, right? What they could become. But as you get older, and my kids, as we get older, you move from what they can become to all I want them to be is a good kid, to love the Lord, to have that relationship. That they would have a relationship that I could speak with them and I can talk with them. And we can have normal conversations. I don't care what you're doing. I mean, truly, that's where I'm at. I don't really care what your occupation is. I just want to know you are who you are in the sense of you are this this person that represents God and represents your family, your values, and the things that touch your life. And what I want you to think about in saying that is where do you think that desire comes from? We are all made in the image of God. And God's desire for his kids is the same desire that we have for our kids 
We want to know more than what they do, the activities, going to church, reading the Bible, praying all the time, is who they are. What's their character? What they look like. And it tells you pretty straight up in Matthew 5.48. He wants you to be like his son, right? Be mature or fulfill your design. Be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. And then even in Romans 8.29 it says, God is going to use every circumstance, every up, every down, everything that we think is good or bad, to shape your life, to conform you to the image of his son. Ephesians 4 tells us the whole purpose and design of the church, of this body that we have here, is that we would grow up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we need to understand that our primary life with, with God himself is not about what you do. It's not about the spiritual points we get to score because of what we've done. It's not the job we have. It's not the things we do. Right? His primary dream for every person is to have that kind of relationship right, with him that he spoke of in Mark in 3.35. For whoever does the will of God is my brother, is my son, is my daughter, is my mother. That's what God wants. He wants this loving, kind, this gentle, holy person who walks in integrity. He wants us to be able to have these casual conversations with him. Not see God as this, oh, I can only come when I'm holy. I have this holy moment with him. But just as you and I have conversations with our kids, or we want to have conversations with our kids, is how he wants us to come to him. And in the end, he wants you to be saying, Father, I, wanted to, I just want to do it your way. I want to do what's going to please you. That's what he's looking for. Just like your kids. That's what you want from them. This intimate relationship, right? This deep, loving relationship. But really the reality is, unfortunately, in Christianity today, is that for the last 40, 60 years, we've had this unprecedented growth in the body of Christ, right? We've seen more people come to Christ, millions of people come to Christ, over the last 40 to 60 years as compared to the last two or three centuries. Maybe it's just communication. We have a broader reach. But we have more and more people coming to Christ. And the gospel has gone around the world. But the biggest question that we have from that is, as people have authentically said, you are my Lord, you are my God, you paid for my sins, you died and rose again, please come into my heart. 
And I quote the words of John Stott, who is a theologian and statesman, who's traveled all around the world. He said, Christianity has never had growth like it had in the last four to five decades. But it is about 16 million miles wide and about a sixteenth of an inch thick. He goes on and says, The greatest need in Christendom today, in every country of the world except where there's persecution and focused discipleship, is spiritual maturity. Is coming to be a child of God. And we know, and for me, all the reports, the Gallup reports, the Buona reports, that is the rule. That is what's happening in America. That is what's happening to Christianity today. Is that about 8 out of 10 people who claim to be a, a follower of Christ have very little family resemblance. And when you're spiritually mature and you think like Jesus and walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus and love like him, you're selfless like him, selfless like him, and your priorities aren't money or your time is just, I will do what you want to do. I want to be part of your body and, and just bring forth all that you want. And many of us are just not willing to take that step. And, and we, we think that, it, it, that we just want it's going to happen to us. That, hey, I said the name of Christ, and all of a sudden, I'm this. And what he's asking from us is to have a relationship with him. It's not about duty and doing it's about having that relationship with him. And as we start into Romans 12, Romans 12 is a snapshot, is a, in a sense, I remember high school and college. You guys remember Cliff Notes? Where I'm not going to read that book. I'm just going to get the Cliff Notes. It's the snapshot, right, of what it is to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, Right? He took this amazing mind that he gave Paul. And all the teachings of Jesus, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, and for 11 chapters, he went through, this is the life, right? This is the work of Christ. This is the sin of mankind. This is the theology. And then in chapter, you know, these 11 chapters, he finally comes to chapter 12 and says, here, here now is a snapshot of what a true Christian looks like, of true spirituality. And that's what we're going to cover today. So as we start this, I've labeled the, or titled this message, Producing Fruit That Last, True Spirituality. And we're in Romans chapter 12, and I hope to get through it, and I'm, hopefully I won't be holding you guys too long. It's a lot to do, but... This is just a cursory view. This is not in-depth. But I hope it sparks something in you. Hope it, it brings in something in you to want to dive deeper. And what we're going to see really, truly, is there, there are a couple things that, that it brings out. And the first thing we see is that it's 
true spirituality is about relationships. It's very relational, and it, it, it breaks down into five different relationships. Our first relationship is Roman, Romans 12.1. It's our relationship with God. In Romans 12.2, it's our relationship with the world. In Romans 12.3 through 8, it talks about our relationship with ourselves. In Romans 9 through 13, it talks about relationship with other believers. And in 14 through 21, it finishes up with our relationship with non-believers. But the second thing you'll see and that we're going to learn from Romans is that it is practical and it's measurable. And like I told you guys last week, if you don't have a target to shoot at, if you don't know what you're measuring, how do you know you're doing it? How do you know how successful you are? In Romans 12, it gives us practically and measurably how to see how we're doing. And again, this is not everything. This is not, you know, they're, they're reading the Bible, your prayer time, coming here. That's all part of it. But this is a snapshot that Paul has put together for us that we can see where things start and how they grow, all in relationship. So the first one that we are going to come to is the relationship with God, and this is how we surrender to God. And it reads, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And I just want to read that same thing again through the J.B. Phillips because it, it really opens up this, this verse. It says, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. And what we really see here. In our relationship with God, we are to present, right? And that word in the Greek is telling us that this is not about salvation. That happened in chapter 3. We're now in chapter 12. This is a point in time that you have knowledge that you've come to Christ and you said, I can't do this. I'm going to turn it all over to you. In essence, you're writing a blank check and saying, God, it's yours. Some point in time in our lives, in our Christian walk, we're going to have to come to that point where we say, God, it's all yours. I need your help. I need your dependency. And so we see... From this, that a true spiritual, authentic, authentic follower is one who surrendered to God. You tell him, you know, it's almost, you know, not maybe not the best sense, is that poker game <laughs> that you go and you think, I'm all in. 
I'm pushing it all to the front of the table. I'm giving it all over. And the thing about it is, it's not taking a chance. It's not doing with the unknown. It's dealing with the known. Is this really that outrageous of a request? As we read through that, it's your reasonable service. That reasonable service is talking about this is a intelligent, logical response to what we've read through the 11 chapters of your relationship with God. Of all that he has done, how hard is it, really, to turn your life over to him? This is your reasonable service. And it answers one of the big questions that you have and you face in life. And that question is, how do I give God what he wants the most? We often think about, well, you know, if I have my child, my kids, or my wife, my best friend, and I want to just bless them, I give them what they want the most, if I'm able to. And in this case, what God is asking, I want all of you. That's what God wants the most. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want you just on the weekend, on Sunday, on Wednesday, at 7 o'clock in the morning while I do my study. I want all of you all day long. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to talk with you. And what we really see that in our lives, in that life, that missing ingredient in most Christians' life, is that we lack the power that God wants to give to us, the power to live this life. We all want to do it on our own. And he's saying, I, I've given you all that is necessary, all that is needed. I dwell within you. I'm there. It's all there for you. And, and you know, he comes with joy. Not like Stephen's looking at you and lecturing you right now. He comes with joy and love. He wants to love you. And he wants to give you that power. It's kind of like, you know, when you're having a skirt gun fight with your kids or with others and you're, you're doing this thing out in the front and then someone gets a bucket because that's bigger and then another person gets the water hose, right? So they got the power. But what do you do if you're smart? You go over there and you kink the hose. You cut off the power. How many of us have kinked the hose? in our Christian walk, in our spiritual life. That we've cut off the power. He's asking for us that for us to experience him and his power, that we surrender all to him. Not that we're talking that the Christian life, right, is not about moralism. It's not about all the attempts we do. It's about submitting our life him which leads us to the second relationship and that's our relationship with the world 
And really, it tells us that we are to be separate from the world's values. In Romans in Romans uh, 12.2, it reads, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We see two commands there, a positive command and a negative command, right? We should stop doing the things of the world, and we should start filling our minds with that which God has given us. In the J.B. Phillips, again, this version, it says it really well. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your mind from within so that you may prove in practice in the things that you do and as you see what he wants you to do, that the plan of God for you is good. It meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. I just love the way that that just says it all. Stop being influenced by the world. Stop allowing the world to influence your life. You ask, how do I grow? How do I become more like Christ? Here you go. But a lot of us are saying, nah, I'll do a portion of that, maybe. But then I still, what am I going to fill that void with? And he tells us that. Renew your mind in the things of the Lord. Allow God to remold your mind. It's not about trying hard. It's not about, hey, you got to do this as a good Christian. A Christian, but he's saying, let your mind be transformed. And that comes with studying, that comes with reviewing the Word of God, that comes with saying, the situation is this, and here's God's Word, and I only say it one time, and I don't memorize it, I don't apply it. It's still work on our part, in a sense, but that work is out of. I want to do what God wants me to do. I know he's good. I know he has the best for me, so why wouldn't I want to do that? Isn't that logical? Doesn't that make sense? And what we really see is that the majority of Christians, first they lack the power, and the second verse tells us they lack peace. Because they're fighting. They're fighting with things of the world. Oh, I'm not supposed to be like this. I'm supposed to be like that. But now I have to work and look like this. And we lack peace. Because we're trying to be so many things to satisfy the world. Which then leads us to our third relationship, and that's with yourself. As he goes on, this verse 3, we're just going to go through verse 3. It says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Again, the J.B. Phillips puts it this way. As your spiritual teacher, I give this piece of advice to you. 
Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or the important or your importance, but try to have the same estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. We often, we look in the mirror, and we look at the mirror, a uh, physical mirror, and we look in the, the mirror of our relationships, and, and God really wants us to say, hey, I like that person. I like them with the hair that they have, with the way they look, with what we think are faults, the height, maybe the, the width, the family background that we are, that we take a, 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 a true view, but we take a view from God's point of view, of how God sees us. And in this thing, in this verse, we see the word sober, and then think, think, think. He's telling us as he goes through it, God wants you to see yourself in the way he sees you. That's the big news. That's the great thing you need to grab from this. He wants you to see you as he sees you, not as you have perceived in your mind and as the world has, has uh, jaded your view of yourself but as how God sees you. He sees you as dearly loved. You're valuable, you're precious, you're forgiven. And you know, in this, what the big question that this answers, this section answers, how do you come to grips with the real you? When we start seeing through the eyes of Christ, when we start seeing through the God, the God who saved us, who's in some way, you got to come to the understanding that his opinion is more important than this world's opinion. How he sees you is more important than what you see on TikTok, Facebook, the commercials. He wants us to see ourselves as redeemed, loved, holy, that's why he died for us. That's why we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. It goes on in Romans 4. It says, For we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same functions. Very much what, what we learn in 1 Corinthians, right? The different functioning of the body. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individual members of, each, of one another. Having then gifts according to the grace that was given to us, right? These gifts are given to us. They're not something that we, we conjured up and, and we worked up. They were given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or, minis or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We are his workmanship. We were created in his image. And it was on to good works. 
right? Which was done before the foundations of this earth. We read that in the Psalms. That's who we are. He's gifted us to do something specific. He's given each and every one of you a gift. Multiple gifts for some. But what are we doing with the gift? Have we just tucked it away? Do we even know what it is? Have you even looked for it? A gift is something he wants to hand over to you. I mean, it's almost like me standing here and going, I have a gift for you. And you just walk on by. Because we assess it in ourselves is that I don't need that gift. I can do it myself. But he's saying, take a sober look at yourself. Look at what you need and why do you have this gift? The gift, the purpose of the gift is to do what you've been called to do, right? We are members of a body doing different functions. You know, someone's an eye, someone's a hand, someone's an ear. The hand can't be an eye. The ear can't be a foot. It just doesn't function that well that way. So we all have something that we have that we add to the body that we're all part of that we can all invest in. And what, in, as you look at this, and, and especially the latter part of the, of the verse where it tells you, you know, uh, if the prophecy, then prophesy. If, if ministry, then minister. If teaching, then teach. All he's telling you, he's not trying to define gifts. All he's saying is, if you have a gift... Spend your time using that gift, right? If you are the hammer, you are not to paint walls. It doesn't work well. Find your gift because why? What's the purpose? It's not for yourself. It's to help the body to grow. If my gift is to exhort, which I believe, I'm to exhort you. If I don't do that, I'm wasting the gift. A lot of you guys have gift of mercy, which maybe I have maybe that much. You guys love a lot better than I do. Use it. Because there's a lot of people in our body and around our community that need that love. We are to use that which God has given us. Figure it out. Find it. That's what a true spirituality is. That's what a mature life looks like. It's doing what he called us to do. And again, in the end, these verses, they supply our purpose. They tell us why we are to be this Christian. This follower of Christ. What is your purpose in life? And the great thing about it, check this out. The great thing about it is, once you figure it out, how freeing that is. Instead of doing this, I do this. And I get joy because that's the gift he gave me. 
That's what brings joy to my heart. And I do it. And I focus on it. doesn't mean that you don't do anything. You're in a body. We need help. Right? We need help. Hey, I'm the preacher. I don't clean floors. No. I clean floors. I open, I close. That's what's needed sometimes. But the majority of my time and effort should go into that which he has gifted me in. And that's the same for you. And in that, you will find your purpose, your joy. In fact, in life. What is my purpose in life? He has gifted me, and that's where I want to focus. And that's what I want to do. So as we see, true spirituality, right? It's rational, it's practical, it's measurable. All these things we can see, they're practical. We can ask ourselves, am I doing this? Am I surrendering myself to God? On on this particular time, this particular day, did I surrender myself to God and I'm going to walk forward? Sometimes backward, forward. It's not perfect. And he understands that and he knows it. But do I do that? Am I separate from the world's values? Am I filling my head with the things of the Lord? And do I see myself? Because that's what holds a lot of us. I can't do it. I'm afraid. The world told me I can't do this. In a lot of ways, I don't care what the world says. But it it influences us, right? 60 years old, 60 years of influence. It takes time and effort and work to renew my mind. But we can grow. We can see. And we can measure that. And it gets exciting, guys. That's the life we want for you. That's what we want in your heart, to grow. And the fourth thing we see as we move on is this relationship with other believers. Right? It's serving in love. It's Romans 9 Through 13, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is defined as, in the Greek times, that was the actor. They would put on a mask, and they would act as something else. Right? So we're seeing here, it's starting out. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be genuine, be authentic, be real. Hey, be warm and filled. Oh, I love you, brother. But can you move out of my way? You know? And then it goes on. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not uh, lagging in diligence. Fervent in the spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patience in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and giving hospitality. So you remember in the early church, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you in John 13. says that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. That's how we're supposed to be loving to one another. It's not about the building. It's not about this external morality that we have. 
He goes on and says, by this, the world will know that the Father has sent me by how you love one another. Again, is it practical? Immeasurable? How do you love one another? How do you love those you don't want to love? How do you love those who may have hurt you? Really, that's the next section. But in this section, right, true spirituality of Romans 12, it answers the question that we often struggle with, right? How do I experience authentic community? We talk about the body, the body of Christ, the Christian body, the church. But the church is a community of people. And I'm not saying I'm going to know every one of you and have this deep relationship with every one of you. But true community will be when you are able to speak to two or three or four brothers or sisters that you can unzip your heart and truly say what is happening in your life. What is going on? I have this addiction. I mean, but you got to be discerning. I'm not saying, you know, we just blabbed everybody. But the community is that love for one another, that we are willing to open up our heart. And truly, we see that, you know, we always uh, heard that term, I'll take a bullet for you, I'll die for you. Well, this is what it's talking about, that you would truly die for another person. That you'll be there as they walk through their valley of the shadow of death. But you also be there when they go to the peak of the mountain. That that is all part of true community. It's not, again, just a small group. Okay? We've all been in small groups where we just go, hey, okay, yeah, what did you get for number two? Oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, did you know there's there's a sale going on over here? Oh, but my hip really hurts. Can you can you pray for me? Is that true community? True community is when you open your heart and say I'm hurting. And I'm willing to tell you something that I don't think I'm going to tell anybody else. That I don't want to share with anybody else. Again, you have to be discerning. I'm not saying just tell anybody. Be discerning in what you're saying. But that's what a body is. That's how we communicate together. That's how we commune together. That's how we're going to grow. And that's how we're going to help, right? Iron sharpening iron. To become a true follower of Christ that we may know the will of the, of the Father and we look and we sound and we walk like him and the world around us gets to see that and go that's attractive that is interesting and we become that messenger We get to experience overall, right, 
God's presence in our life. And that's what it's talking about as we share. You know, I, I think we, we as Christians think, um, you know, God's going to come and talk to me. And I can tell you, I had maybe one, one clear one, maybe two, where I felt like the Lord really talked to me directly. You know, and if you experience God in such a way that you feel like, you know, God talked to me last night. He was at the foot of my bed and he was telling me things. He came and gave me a hug because I was going through a hard time. He gave me, you know, sat down and had coffee with me. But for most of us, like me, God shows up in you guys in the relationships I have with you. You're going to go to Starbucks with me and we're going to talk, maybe, you know, as we grow. All that. That's how the body works, guys. If we're thinking that it's going to be some mystical, spiritual thing that God's going to just show up I think we're looking at the wrong thing, and I'm not sure where we're getting that idea from because it's not in the Bible. God shows up in me and you, touching each other's lives, reaching out, and being there for one another. And it leads us to the last relationship, which is relationship with non-believers. And really, this is that supernatural responding to evil with good. All right, this is the final portion of Romans 12, and it's our relationship. It isn't just your relationship with God. It's your relationship to those around us, this world, to yourself, right, to other believers. And unfortunate, there are times that we will get a hostile attack upon us. And the funny part sometimes, and... I think it's often said of the church, we kind of eat our own. We attack our own more (laughs) than the world does. You know? But how do we respond to that? Our response is only going to be through God. It's going to be a supernatural response, right, that he calls us to do. It reads in verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with them who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on things, on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Just stop right there. So he's telling us persecution is going to come. It's going to come. I'm following the Lord. Cancer is going to come. I'm following the Lord. Some financial problem is going to come. This guy used my patent, and he's making millions. Evil is going to come our way, and it's going to show up in many forms. There's no guarantee saying, oh, I'm a follower of Christ. Mike, Mike, I got my bubble. 
and nothing happens to me. But it's how we respond. It's how we deal with it. He goes on in verse 7, says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have good regard for good things. Have a... Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceable with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And it goes on in verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. So we know that in this life, in this world, evil is going to come. And no matter how good our heart, it still comes our way. And truly... It tells us, right, this question is, how do I overcome the evil that is aimed at me? And I really believe the answer is God's perspective. It's having God's perspective. We can all probably list three or four people that maybe even through this pandemic have said, You know, I used to walk with Christ, but things aren't working the way I wanted it to. So I'm I'm no longer going to seek him. I'm going to bail from this. This isn't what I think it is. People rip me off at work. I'm not treated well. But there is a reason why in Genesis, 25% of that book is dedicated to the life of Joseph. To the guy who in that book, we read the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. And that's what he held on to, right? Through maybe not so good choices of telling his brothers that, hey, you're going to bow down to me. To being thrown in a pit be sold as a slave to then running Potiphar's whole household but then being accused and getting thrown in jail again and we know at least two years he was in there right in anticipation that I helped some guy and they're going to help me get out but two years later that happened and then he becomes the second most powerful man in the world How could he do that? How could he do that? But what we read in the end, at the end of that, said, talking to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph had a perspective that he was able to lift himself out of the situation and see vengeance is not his, it's the Lord's. I'm not going to repay evil because I'm going to let the Lord deal with that. Will it happen maybe in this time? Maybe, but maybe not. But are we okay with that? Let's go back to the first verse. Did we submit ourselves to him and say, all this is yours? 
Because all this is building up on upon one relationship and another. If I say this is all yours and evil comes my way, and I, I'm able to say, God, this is yours. You take care of it. Not the way I perceive it to be. Not my answer. Because that's basically, right? We, we love that, and I do it. Man, I'm going to do this. If this happens, oh yeah, that would be great. That will be justice. That, I know, is it. But that isn't the answer. The answer is allow God to do his work because we don't necessarily understand all that he's doing in our lives and in the lives of another person. How your response may influence another life to come to the Lord. How is it that you, I pick on you every day, I call you names, and all you do is bless me. What is going on here? Why do you do that? Gives you opportunity. May even open hearts. That you can touch another person. So, as we see all of this, these five different relationships... Are we starting to catch on to what true spirituality is? It's about relationships. It's measurable. You can measure how you're doing with them. It's saying, I'm surrendered to you, God. I'm going to separate myself from these world values. I'm going to have a sober self-assessment of who I am. And how God sees me. And I'm going to serve in love. And when evil comes, I'm going to be able to handle it. In the way God wants me to handle it. So little by little, as we walk through this, and again, it's partially by ourselves, but partially with one another. Right? We begin to experience and trust and obey By faith. That's how our faith grows. We see God's power. We see God's peace. We see God's purpose for our lives. His presence as it shows up. And he keeps us with God's perspective. Right? Jesus went on and said, If you abide in my word, and that word abide just means that You take in my word for the purpose of applying it by faith, and faith is an action of doing. I believe what it says, and I'm going to do it. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, I'm saying all this stuff, and and, and somewhat I'm thinking in my head, right? Well, yeah, that's easy for you to say. But will we believe that? I mean, that's the question for all of you. That's a question for me. But that's a question for us, right? Will you believe, oh, yeah, you say the truth and the truth will set me free. You don't know what's going on in my life. No, I don't. But somewhat, that's what the body's here for. Somewhat, that is saying, I'm going to give my life over 
to you, God, who, who does know what's going on in your life and has gone through all things. So as we want to close, I want to keep this in perspective, right? It's very important that I talk about this journey of Romans 12. And just like any journey, there's dangers along the way. This journey that we can believe that if I do this and this and this and this, everything will be good. We just move back into that moralism that we're trying to get away from. We just labeled it something different. True spirituality has nothing to do with living a good life. Right? That's not, I'm going to live this way to get God to respond with love because God already loves us. True spirituality has everything to do with beginning to grasp the height, the depth, and the length and the breadth of how much God has already loved us. I mean, I think that's key. Do we understand that he already loves us? And he demonstrated that love by dying on the cross. And he wants you to live it out, that love and the freedom that he gives you. So as we see this, in Romans 12, true spirituality working in our lives, it's having some time in our life, one day, maybe today, that you take some time and you go to God and say, I'm all in. I'm all yours. I'm going to stop being influenced by the world. And I'm going to start filling my mind with the things of the Lord, with the things of the word. I'm going to stop and take a sober self-assessment of who I am in God, not of who I am in this world. Because I have a purpose. I have a belief that I can do something. And God said that. So I want to do that. And I want to ask him, what is it that you want me to do? And that we love in community. And when evil comes, we are able to withstand with a proper, proper perspective that God wants to love this world. He died for this world. He didn't die just for us. Hey, we're the few, we're the proud. He died for everybody. That's what he wants. That's what his will is for our lives. That's what a brother, a sister, a mother is going to look like as we follow to do God's will. So I, I ask you just to go through, go through Romans 12. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot more depth in each section. But ask yourself some of these questions that we've gone through today. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it, it just continually shows us your love and that you haven't left us here with nothing, with grasping at straws to find out God's will. But you show us plainly if we are willing to have the ears to hear and the eyes to see 
that we would accept, as we read before, that which you have given us, you're going to give us more. But also, if we're not going to accept any of this, he's going to move on. I pray, God, that in all this and all that has been said, that it is pleasing to you and that it moves each and everyone's heart in the direction you want them to. There's a word for each and every one of us, myself included, and I thank you for that. I pray that you just bless the rest of our day. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your love, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.